Good morning, church. How are you? Let me just slide this right over here. Thanks for joining us in person here. It is a lot more crowded now, which is nice. Great to see you all. Uh, And thank you for joining in online. If you're joining us that way, we're glad you could join us as well. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be camping out there this morning. And we're in the series, as you've been hearing us talk about, called Adrift. And it's actually focusing on the theme of hope. A lot of what we've been singing about this morning. And it's an essential ingredient to the church is hope. As we've been looking at faith, and now we're looking at hope, and then eventually we're going to look at love. And it's also really an essential ingredient to your life, and it's really a daily part of our lives. Hope is a daily part. We all hope and dream each day. Hope that today when I get up, it's going to be a great day. I'm hoping maybe that I can finish my work today, or hoping that if I have this Zoom call, that my computer is going to work. How may I face that? Yes, myself included. This past week, actually, uh, I was helping our, our daughter, uh, Chloe. It's our youngest daughter. She's 16. And she had a Zoom call on the computer. Now, this Zoom call was for a showcase that she was doing. She is pursuing on-screen acting. And so showcases are where agents are watching various actors and actresses, and they do a monologue for these agents. And if they like you, they're going to pick you up and, and be your agent. So they can't do this in person, though, right now because of COVID. So they're doing it all through Zoom. And so, like you see on the screen here, you have to have like this blue screen, and then you got to put this lighting and all this stuff and microphone. You have to like really make sure it's set up that way. And so we're putting a lot of work into this. And she's practiced her monologue and stuff. And she is just about ready to go on after a few others have gone before her to do her monologue in front of these agents. And all of a sudden, on the computer, her cursor disappears. And now she needs that cursor to click on the button to start her video and to start her audio when it's her turn. And so we can't find the cursor to turn on the button. Now I'm in the other room and she tells me, Dad, the cursor disappeared. I can't turn on the button. And I'm panicking. She's panicking. I'm throwing up prayers to God saying, God, help my child. I didn't even realize I was saying that in front of her, but she was telling me that. And we're, I'm thinking, what in the world happened? How the cursor disappeared? I find out later on it's because of the RAM cache I had to clear if you guys are all tech savvy. But anyway, I did not know that at the time. And so we're panicking, trying to find how can we start her video and start the audio when her turn is up. Because then all this work will feel like it's wasted. It felt like a hopeless situation. But I was able to find and figure out a way, because I'm not supposed to be in the the shot there. I had to like stretch over and figure out a way I could turn on the button. You know, I'm glad no one was there to watch me do that. And I'm not on screen because I looked ridiculous trying to stretch to turn on that button. And I was able to find it and navigate even though the cursor disappeared. There's some way it was going to, I could see that the cursor was there that I could turn on the button. But I had to do that very carefully So she wasn't distracted by it, and we found a way to get it done. Felt like a hopeless situation. All sorts of moments we're feeling there. What do you feel in hopeless situations? Now, this was maybe sounds a little bit trivial, but let me tell you, it was, we were panicking. Uh, But in hopeless situations, we have a range of emotions. Maybe you were confused, sad, angry, maybe frustrated. And those situations and trials and crisis where it just feels hopeless. 
But let me go a little bit further than that. Recognizing that for some, it's really hard, and there's some maybe traumatic events that feel absolutely hopeless for you. What do you do when you feel that that what you thought would give you hope, or that person that you thought would give you hope, feels like a letdown, or leaving you hopeless? Maybe it was a father or mother that you thought you could count on growing up, but one of them left. Maybe it was a friend that was a close friend of yours, but they betrayed you. Or maybe you've invested all this time into your child. You've done all, everything that you are supposed to do as a parent. You've instilled in them Christian principles, but they choose to go and rebel later on in life. Or maybe you had a job that you thought was so secure, and then the pandemic hit, and you lost it. Or how about with God? You know that God, as you sing about that, he's our rock, he's our fortress. But you felt like, God, I've been doing these things for you. I deserve so much more and better than this. But it feels like he let you down. You feel like there is no hope. You feel almost even abandoned. Maybe we may not admit that, but a lot of times we might feel that way even with God. You know, I, I kind of, I felt that way probably, it was, it was about eight years ago when I took a position as a senior pastor of a church down in southern Virginia. We are from New Jersey uh, here, so we're not from Virginia or Delaware, and this, we're from New Jersey, greatest state in the world, I feel like, you know, New Jersey. Yes, New Jersey pride. Yes. So we took a position, I took a position down there in Southern Virginia uh, as a senior pastor uh, eight years ago. And before that, I was associate pastor in Delaware for five years at an alliance church there. And so I thought, well, the next step after associate pastor is probably you become senior pastor. So I took that position in Southern Virginia. It was a church of like 200 there. And Our house in Delaware, though, did not sell at the time, so we continued to make mortgage payments to that, even though we were living in Virginia, and they gave us a parsonage for us to live in, uh, which was kind, although it did have cockroaches and mice in there. I I knew they they meant best, but it was not the greatest living conditions, and things started to go well at the church. Um, we started small groups. We started seeing people being discipled. Uh, we saw baptisms, people engaging in outreach. But then a couple months in and things just started to fall apart. Well, you see, I was following a pastor there that was there for 30 years. This was kind of like, this is, was his baby, and he was there for 30 years, and he lived, he was going to still live in the area, but the district, which oversees the churches in that area, asked uh, for that pastor to not be there for the first year so that the senior pastor coming in, the new guy, could get his feet grounded. So the church knew this, all the church congregation knew this, the board uh, knew this as well. But then they started asking questions like, why can't he come back? You know, and then started to actually accuse me of not wanting him to come back. 
And I started to see board members just start to drop off and leave. Those that I thought were close and that I could count on. My kids on top of that were struggling in school. They were being bullied. They were not doing well. It was hard for them to acclimate. And then our house in Delaware was not selling. Throw that another thing on top of that. I'm still paying mortgage payments to that thing and losing equity, basically losing it all because uh, we bought in 2007, which was not a good year to buy. And then our oldest had Crohn's disease as well. I don't know if you know anything about Crohn's disease, but it's, you experience a tremendous amount of pain there. It's like an autoimmune disease that attacks your intestine area. And she was going through a huge amount of pain that we could not help her, and no medication could help her. She was going to need surgery, but there were nights when all we could do was just pray over her and ask God to give her some sense of comfort for tonight so that she can actually sleep. As a result of all of this, and me trying to lift all this up, I sank into a, a deep depression. I felt like I could not get up. I, I, was, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I had no energy. I felt hopeless. Hopeless. Maybe some of you have felt like that. Here's the problem, though. When it looks hopeless in a sea of turmoil and trials, we can feel adrift. We can feel unanchored, like a boat at sea, not anchored, getting tossed around by the storm, the trials, not knowing where it's going to go, battered and tossed by every wave of uncertainty. But even as Christians, we know we should have hope. So here's the question how do we move forward with hope? When we feel adrift or hopeless. Because we don't want to deny the feelings of you ha- that you have. Not just try to put on a smiling face and be like, everything's fine and have these Christian platitudes. When that's not really the case. But God also promises us hope in the present. So how do we move forward with hope when it feels like you're adrift in a hopeless situation? Well, you have a choice. You can turn to God in that moment or turn to something else. And the good news, too, is that this is not a 21st century problem. This was something that the early church faced, too. Maybe of a different situation, but they felt hopeless in a lot of cases. So Peter is actually addressing in this letter, in 1 Peter, he's addressing this letter to Christians who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. This was actually a circular letter to multiple churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that were in the Roman Empire. Remember, Peter is one of the 12 disciples who is shepherding these churches— And he's writing to them because they're being persecuted, living in the Roman Empire, facing hostility, harassment in their jobs. It feels hopeless. And he wants to encourage them to move forward with hope. Now remember, too, this is Peter, the guy that has felt hopeless before. Remember when he denied Jesus three times? When Jesus went to the cross, here he's seeing his Savior, his Master, who he followed for years, and he sees him now going to a cross. He thought that Jesus was going to free them from the Roman Empire. He felt hopeless and would deny Jesus three times, saying, I don't know who this man is. But Peter knows something about hope because Peter experienced the resurrected Jesus also. 
And so Peter here wants to encourage them to move forward with hope by looking back to Jesus' resurrection. That's what he encourages them to do, and that's what he's encouraging us to do too. To move forward with hope. He tells us, and he's telling you and I, to look back to Jesus' resurrection. Look back as you move forward, looking back to what Jesus' resurrection has provided for you and I. Well, what has he provided that gives us hope in the present? That's what Peter's going to outline here, and I think that's what God's word is for you and I this morning. To move forward with hope, look back to Jesus' resurrection to find first your identity to be anchored in what Jesus achieved. Look at verse 3 and 4, what Peter says to them. After in verse 1 and 2, he gives greetings and and an introduction. He then says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice he says born again. What does that mean? Becoming a new creation. The Holy Spirit making you a new creation, having a new identity, a new family, a father who loves you, a new power by the Spirit given to you. Born again to what? A living hope because Jesus is alive. It's a living hope that gives you hope in the present because he's a present alive Jesus. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection because of Jesus raised from the dead allowing you and I to be born again to a living hope. Having a father, having the presence of Jesus with us by agency of the Holy Spirit. Let this sink in. You have a new identity. You not only have the God-breathed life who created you and gave you life, but you now have the God-infused presence and his power in you to help you get through the trials. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power in you. Amazing. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that anchored Jesus to get through the trial of the cross is the same power that is in you. Now, I don't know if you know much about buoys. And I'm talking about these navigational buoys. Not just for your boat, but a navigational buoy that's for these ships. And... What makes them so helpful and not just drift away is the fact that they are anchored to the ocean floor. They are securely anchored to the ocean floor. Without that anchor there, that navigational buoy isn't of no help to any ship and it's just going to be adrift. It's hopeless. Without that anchor, you cut the anchor away, it's gone to drift. And the same is for you and I, that our identity, if it's not anchored to Jesus and his resurrection and who we are as our identity in Christ, if we're unanchored from that, we are going to feel adrift and feel hopeless. If we're not looking back to what his resurrection provided for us and our new identity. But how easily we forget. 
How do we become unanchored from that? It's often because we just forget. We're so clouded by the circumstance and our trial that's around us that we often forget who we are. It's kind of like that story. It's a children's story. I don't know if you've heard it before of the eagle and the chicken. How many heard of that story? Few. So an eagle, a majestic bird, powerful, one of the most powerful birds on earth. I've actually literally seen some YouTube videos of an eagle taking down a mountain goat off a cliff. It's unbelievable. And throwing it down. Powerful, powerful birds. Well, there's the story with the eagle and the chicken is that um, an eagle egg was found among these chickens and it hatched and started to live with the chickens. And so it would go through its life living with the chickens, living as a chicken. And then looks up one day at the sky and sees this beautiful, majestic eagle just flying in the air. And he says, what is that? He tells his fellow chickens. And the chickens say, oh, that's an eagle. One of the most powerful birds. Beautiful. The eagle looks at it and goes, hmm. And then continues to live as a chicken. He lives and dies thinking he was only a chicken. And so many of us go through our lives forgetting our identity of who we are in Christ, living as only a chicken, and not who we are in Christ with this power that he's given to us. We are clouded by our present circumstances or our past experiences, and we forget who we are. And that's why we look back to the resurrection. Because as we move forward with hope, we look back to what Jesus provided for us and that he will give us that power to get through the trial. And I remember that in Virginia, while I was there, during my depression, when I felt like I had no power in me physically at all, I had to turn to God and move forward with hope. But how was I going to do that? I looked back to who I am in Christ. I had to tell myself to consciously hope in God. Like the psalmist said in that passage that was read earlier by Pastor Eric in Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? I didn't deny my feelings, what I was feeling, and what are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise in my salvation and my God. I had to make a conscious choice each day, even though I didn't feel like it. And I will tell you this, that God showed up, because I still had to preach. I still had to pastor people. And my wife will tell you that when I would have to do these things, God's power showed up. And I will tell you, he gave me a strength to do and still pastor. But I had to lean on him. I had to surrender to him. I had to remember who I am in Christ and appropriate what he did for me and who I am in Christ and that power. And he, he got me through it. To move forward with hope, you and I need to look back to Jesus' resurrection so that your identity is anchored to what he truly says about you now that you're in Christ. But he will take you through that trial. He may not take you out of it, but he will take you through it. Because there's another thing that he wants to do in the midst of that trial, that he wants to bring you to rely on him 
and it's for your faith to be strengthened. That's the second point. The second thing we see here of looking back to Jesus' resurrection is for us, for our faith to be strengthened. Look what it says in verse 4. He also says, born again, not only to a living hope, the present Jesus, who you are in Christ, but also to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, let me break it down for you here. Born again to an inheritance. He's talking about something in the future. And that's going to be next sermon that we're going to also look ahead to move forward with hope. But he's saying right now, he's saying look ahead to an inheritance that you have. That's secure. It's, un, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. For when that new creation, new earth, new heavens, new earth, resurrected body with Jesus, that inheritance is there waiting for you. But he says, but by God's power that is keeping that for you, he's also guarding you now in the present. He's guarding you now in the present. So that for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, the new heavens, new earth, when we are resurrected with Jesus, resurrected body. He's saying that is waiting for you. But being guarded by God's power in the present for you now. How? Because how do we appropriate that? How do we actually feel God's power in the midst of the trial? How do we feel his protection when it doesn't feel like it and we feel adrift? It says here, through faith. Through faith. Guarded through by faith. It's not works, folks. It's not doing things to earn God's favor. It's not trying to then say, I must be being punished for what God, what I'm, I've somehow offended God, and now I need to do certain things in order for him to bless me and get me through this trial. No, it just says through faith. Turning to him, trusting him, looking to him. Looking to him. And remember that buoy. Remember that buoy that I shared with you. There's another thing about something about buoys that are important. It's not just the anchor, but the metal chain attaching from the anchor all the way up to the buoy. That metal chain is often secure. It's strong. If it was weak, it would break. Can you imagine if it was a fishing line that attached from the anchor to the buoy? That thing would snap off and it would be adrift. And the same is for you and I sometimes. Our faith is sometimes we have weak faith. And that's okay. But God wants to strengthen that. God wants it make it secure and strong, like that metal chain. And so Peter then points out that these trials that you and I have to sometimes go through, there's a purpose for them that God is lovingly doing in you with your faith. And it's, he makes this connection between our trials and faith using the illustration with Gold. Gold. And look what he says in verse 6. It says, In this, so he's talking about in this, these things that you know are waiting for you, a living hope and inheritance, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved 
by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're saying at, until that day of the revelation of Jesus Christ, when he returns, when he brings the new heavens, new earth, until that day, he wants to strengthen your faith, even though you're grieved by various trials. Now, I don't know if you know what happens with gold. When you put gold in fire, I mean, if you want to do a fun experiment, you could take your gold jewelry. Um, just kids, make sure you get permission if you decide to do this. I don't want any angry emails from anyone. So, But if you're brave enough and you want to do this, you take genuine gold, put it in fire. What happens to it? It gets hot, but it will not darken. If you take, like, brass or fake gold or anything like that, it will darken and change color when exposed to fire. Now, goldsmiths, there's a lengthier process to get actually gold from the earth, is they have to use actually cyanide to extract the gold from the ore, and then it creates something called a door, D-O-R-E, and then they put that door in the fire, in a furnace, and that separates the gold from all the impurities. So that you have pure, genuine gold. Guys, trials are a normal part of the Christian life. Trials are a normal part of the Christian life. They are one of the seasons of faith in this life. Some writers, Christian, early Christian writers, called it the dark night of the soul. Or a crisis experience in a deeper life with God. Or maybe the testing of your faith. Or some have even called it a wall that you face. But in that crisis that looks hopeless, Jesus is wanting to strengthen your faith in him. Make it strong. And some of you have faced crisis or you're in the middle of the crisis right now that just feels very hopeless. Maybe a divorce that you didn't think would happen to you. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe death of a loved one. Job loss that you've experienced during this time. Maybe a bad church experience. Maybe betrayal from a friend. Someone that you thought you could trust. A shattered dream. A wayward child, you can't get pregnant. Or you're single and you always wanted to be married and you're not seeing that being fulfilled. Or just a dryness that you're experiencing with God. These are all trials that we go through, but they're there to deepen your faith to strengthen your faith, to make it stronger. Just as he makes the point of how gold goes through fire to take away all the impurities so that your faith will be proven genuine. And it removes our faith away from some of the things that maybe our faith was being attached to and not really to God. Our faith we may confess with our mouth and our mind, but our actions and our wills, will does not show that actually our faith is in God. And he wants to clean us away from all those impurities to make our, strength, our faith stronger 
for even the next trial and the next trial and the next trial. You know, during my time in Virginia, again, during that period of just facing depression, I knew that God was testing my faith, that God was also removing things from my heart that I was attaching myself to. Maybe it was in a position or an influence to have, and he was removing those things from my faith so that my faith was genuinely in him. And I will never forget, though, what got my attention to think through those things was from my dad. My mom and dad were a great and wonderful line of support during that time. And I will never forget my dad saying this, which may have sounded like a rebuke, but it was what I needed. And he said, where is your faith, David? Where is your faith? I needed that. I needed to hear that. I needed to be challenged. I needed to go deeper. I needed to actually reflect on my soul and see where is my faith truly being placed in. Trials may come, but they are there to strengthen your faith. And when you look back to the resurrection, if you move forward with hope, you can look back and see that this trial may be a season This trial may be a season, just as Jesus going to the cross was just a season that he had to endure to face and the resurrection, to face life that would come from death. And you can know too that even though it feels like death, that there's life that God is bringing, even in the midst of that, that comes with strengthening your faith in him. And he can give you life and joy even in the midst of the trial without even denying the hopelessness that sometimes we may still feel. You can move forward with hope when you look back to Jesus' resurrection for your identity and for your faith to be strengthened. And you know what happens when we do that? You know what happens when we do that? Your trial, my trial, becomes a witness to those around us. It shows that our God is real. And that our God heals and our God saves and our God is powerful. Your trial can be a witness. And this is the last point I want to make. So look at verse 8 through 12. And I want you to catch what it will say in verse 12 about the prophets. So he says in verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving, catch this, they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, there's a lot of beautiful and awesome things there. But I just want you to notice verse 12, 
where it says about the prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Those that were reading this letter and to you and I today. When you think about the lives of the prophets in the Old Testament, they had some pretty miserable lives. They had some bad experiences. Trials and crises and things they have to go through. Just think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote a whole book on it, Lamentations, Lamenting. He was in exile during that time when, when Israel was in exile. Had to go through some really bad stuff. But he knew that God would help get him through it and that what he was inquiring, and even searching for what God was going to do in bringing a Messiah a person that would save. He knew he had little pieces of what God was doing in the story that God was going to bring into completion in Jesus Christ. And he knew that something was happening and he knew that what I'm going through is for someone else. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Knowing that what what he's going through, the trial could serve a witness for generations to come. And it's the same for you and I. I mean, the fact that Peter did, let's go back to verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. He's talking about in the midst of this trial, though of hopelessness, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, and then obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In the midst of hopelessness, you could be experiencing this, Come on, Peter, really? But he's saying yes. When you look back to the resurrection in the midst of that trial and you see your identity of who God is as your father who loves you and that he's with you and then you see also that he's strengthening your faith so your faith is secure in him, yes, you can experience joy even though you experience grief. You can experience the joy of knowing him that is with you, even though you go through that trial. Because you, you are starting to look more and more like Jesus and the attitude of Jesus that he had when he faced his trial of the cross because he knew who he was. He was the son of God. And his faith, oh, is the strongest. Being God in the flesh. I know it sounds mysterious. But he's saying that you and I can go through the trials in our life in the same way. And it can serve as a witness for generations to come. For generations to come. You know, even the story I'm sharing with you about my depression, it has opened up doors for me to be able to share with other people and talk to them about their grief or their trial that I never probably would have had the opportunity to, to have. And, and, and there are some times I may have felt ashamed about it. But listen, guys, it's not my story. It's God's story. The story is not about me. The story is about God and his power and how he shows up and how he helps us get through the crisis and the trials and how he transforms us and strengthens our faith even in the midst of that. And he makes our identity even secure more in him and anchored to him. The story is not about me, it's about him. And to be missionally engaged, which is something that we all need to be doing as Christians, share your story. You don't have to share, like, 
a story that has no low moments, share your story. Share the story of hopelessness that you felt. Share how you had to even still move forward through it with hope, but you were looking back to the resurrection to find your identity and for your faith to be strengthened. It could serve as a witness. Because, guys, Christian hope is much different than the worldly hope that people have in this world. They have, they have a, this idea, a sense of optimism that if my circumstance will get, it will get better, things will change. If I just muster up enough strength, it, things will be better. Christian hope is different. Our hope is not in a circumstance changing. There's no promise even that our circumstance will change. Our hope is not in a circumstance, but a person. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Yes. It's in a person. And so let me encourage you with a story just to close. With that image of the buoy on the water. Now this picture looks calm. But imagine it being rough. The seas. And this buoy getting tossed around, battered by wave after wave. Looking like it may go down. But it stays. It's anchored it's connected. It has a strong metal chain connecting it to that anchor. And it stands there and helps the ships navigate and serves as a witness for all other ships to be able to navigate and get to where they need to be going. Do you catch the metaphor? You and I will have trials that will knock us around. It may look hopeless. We don't deny those feelings. But we can move forward with hope when we look back to the resurrection for our identity to be anchored, our faith to be strengthened, and our trials will serve as a witness to people and those around us for a much bigger purpose and plan than we could ever imagine. So where are you now, right now? Are you in a trial? It's not if you'll face one, but when. Do you see a storm coming? Where are you now? Here's the question that I leave with you, which is your choice now. Will you move forward with hope looking back to the resurrection? It's an act of the will, and all you need to give to Jesus is your yes. Will you move forward with hope looking back to Jesus' resurrection? All he wants to hear from you is that yes. That's all. And I believe each of us, even this morning, we need to place our hope in Jesus. No matter where you are. No matter where you are. Some of you may need even help with this. And there's going to be a prayer team up front during the song that we're going to sing. And if you need help, we're here to help you. No judgment. And you and I are going to have this opportunity to right now just place our hope. Some of you may be the first time ever. Others is just recommitting. Some of us facing a trial right now and saying, yes, I need to be reminded of this and I need Jesus. This is my yes to you. Because listen to the words of this song that we're going to sing. And I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Because Jesus is alive. The living hope, is, which is why hope is alive in us. He's resurrected. We don't place our hope in someone dead. We place our hope in someone living. 
Listen to the words. It says, days may be darkest, but your light is greater. Your light, you light our way, God. You light our way. When evil is rising, you're rising higher. With power to save, power to save. You keep hope alive. You keep hope alive. From the beginning to end, your word never fails. You keep hope alive because you are alive. Jesus, you are alive. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray right now. We are giving our lives to you. Oh, Lord, we love you. And hope is alive. And for those that are struggling with that right now, they can know that hope is alive because, Jesus, you are alive. And so, Lord, for some of us that are recommitting, we put our hope in you. For others that are just, this is the first time putting our hope in you. Because, Jesus, you are alive. Hope is alive. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.